previously on Creek Chat. Like, it, it's so American Eagle 1998. Right when they were doing it on Dawson's Creek, I'm out there frosting my tips. I'm wearing Hawaiian shirts like Pacey's wearing. Sometimes I'm wearing sweater vests like Dawson. Like, I may as well have been watching this show and just ripping off the fashion. Oh, you so good, baby. You so good. You so smart. She, like, fucking, like, yanks it around and breaks the lamp. I thought you died, lamp boy. <laughs> I haven't had sex in 15 years. Things are gonna get weird. Boner. Weird, hard, and fast. Getting bodily fluids on teachers one way or another. Who is this creepy teacher, maybe? Henry and Jen? I'll, I'll subscribe to that. <laughs> I obviously can't film myself. I'm a filmmaker, not an actor. Uh, well, I'm going to say that it's definitely not in the next three pack. You know that's right. Welcome to 50 Randy Quaid's Presents Creek Chat. I'm your host, JT Megan Whoopi Money. And with me, my special guest. It's me, the one and only Chucky B. Man, I can't believe I had that much in me because I woke up at 4 a.m. It's approximately 10.20 p.m. What's the B stand for this uh, bushwhacked? Uh, sure. Okay, perfect. Bags under my eyes banner? Let's go with that, too. What we're here to do this week, for all you beautiful, lovely listeners out there, is discuss episodes four through six of season three of Dawson's Creek. And uh, what an interesting three-pack we had presented to us. What I realized while watching the DVD this week, the previously ons that were in season two DVDs have disappeared from season three. So I don't have them anymore. I really like a previously on. Not that it matters, but I just, I don't know why I really enjoy it. It makes me feel like I'm watching it on TV as opposed to watching it on DVD. The OC DVDs always have the previously on on there. Not to compare the two. Yeah, well, that's another thing the OC did better. One thing that both shows did was focus the fashion of the time on the characters that they had. And we've talked about it before on the show, and I actually happened to, whether knowledge I had and lost, or I was just lucky, I said, everyone looks like they're wearing American Eagle. Well, it just so happens, season three of Dawson's Creek was sponsored by American Eagle, so much so that they were in the credits of the TV show. I watched through to the end of the credits to see American Eagle make an appearance there. And their clothes are all over the show, as you can see. I don't even notice it. It's everywhere. It's all over the fuck. All right. Every Pacey that every Pacey, every sweater that Pacey wears is something that either I owned or I saw at American Eagle when I went to the mall. Yeah, I don't even really notice it. It makes me realize how in tune with this era's fashion I was, despite the fact I didn't really think about it. Because it was right after this era, I kind of stopped doing that, but I was right on the Hawaiian shirts. The fact that I went with the Hawaiian shirts, the only thing I haven't seen is bowling shirts, which I rocked pretty hard, too, and remember buying at Kohl's in the late 90s. Yeah, I, I wore, like, wrestling shirts. 
uh, and I still wear a wrestling shirt. Well, I did too. And jerseys, and I still wear jerseys and uh, Adidas, and I still wear Adidas. I still have my Stone Cold Steve Austin Don't Trust Anybody shirt that I must have got in 1997. I still have it. So I know about wearing a wrestling shirt. I'm just saying I was also a sucker for all this other bullshit too. I also remember shopping at Pacific Sunwear and buying skater shirts, even though I've never been able to skateboard in my entire life. So I was pretty cool back then. Let's talk about how cool your predictions were for these episodes. Uh, Episode four, home movies. You said the kids are in school. They're going to have to do a project where they have to look at some past home movies. So they're digging through all these things. and They're finding a bunch of old memories of their childhood. And it's bringing up turmoil for some of the characters, such as Andy and Jen, who can't get a hold of any of her home movies because she doesn't talk to her parents anymore because it's not a good time for them. All right, so here's, here's what happened. Dawson got a film assignment through his mother's... What was it? No, what was this? It was for the documentary. Wait, is that the breakdown? No, this is me talking afterwards. <laughs> I'm talking about what ha- what you got right, which is home movies came into play because Dawson busted out the old Betamax, some old-ass yeah. technology for your ass, Chuck. And, and he ended up giving some home movies to Joey later, too. So, like, okay, home movies came into play for Dawson, but not for anybody else, except for Joey, I guess. Yeah, because Dawson uh, gave the home movies to Joey. But they kind of play in with the roles of uh, Mitch and Jack. There's no school assignment in which either of them are looking... There is an assignment, though. You're correct. All I'm saying is that's not what you predicted. Your spirit was... In almost, you were trying to walk in the door of the ballpark, but you didn't have tickets. You showed up, you're in the parking lot, you're tailgating, but you're not in the arena. I broke in. I fucking kicked that door down and was like, no. bitch, I am here to fucking make predictions. I don't care if the fucking words got skewed. Some of those words were right, and I fucking count it as a win. So let's talk about what actually happened there with this breakdown for home movies. Mitch and Dawson clash when Gale gives Dawson an opportunity to produce a news report for local television. The subject of the report is Jack, Capeside's first gay football star, and Mitch is concerned that the timing of the piece could jeopardize his chances to win the upcoming game. And Mitch, true to form, for like the last two seasons, is a real fucking piece of shit about this. Oh yeah, you know, but he just can't wait to make up with his son. (sighs) (laughs) Joey and Pacey are handed us. A- <laughs> <laughs> oh, can, can you just let me talk about Joey and Pacey for a second? Let's bring this thing back on track. Joey and Pacey are handed a strange punishment for skipping classes together. But when Pacey later reveals a personal project to Joey, that he has acquired a small boat that he is restoring, she stops blaming him for getting her into trouble. And dude, she does. She comes around on Pacey real quick for... Dude, she sk- she cut class. Joey Potter, a model valedictorian student, cut class with almost not a second thought because of Pacey fucking winner. She doesn't even. Yeah, she doesn't even know a it. A lot of things in this three pack. 
Meanwhile, Andy begins to panic when Principal Green asks to speak to her, and Jen decides to quit her position as head cheerleader, but the other girls will not let her go without a fight, especially when she is voted Homecoming Queen. Which, okay, hold on. Homecoming Queen came out of nowhere. No one has even talked about Homecoming Queen being a thing. There was no campaign for it, there was no... All of a sudden it's like, oh, Homecoming Queen, and then I'm supposed to believe in the next episode that there's this long tradition of HQs that have been doing this for fucking 25 years and this is big society? Then why the fuck was no one talking about the goddamn homecoming queen and who's the fucking homecoming king because you gotta have that too right isn't that how fucking royal court works this is literally a three-pack based upon the homecoming queen and there's not a dance you're right there is no dance and was that game that they played in home movies the homecoming game because if it was i mean i guess there was a I don't know. You don't want the no, that, that, no, that's the end of the breakdown. That's the end of the breakdown. So we can kind of talk about that like for a second. They didn't really push it as the homecoming game, but it was at home, I guess. They pushed it as a big game, but they didn't yeah, call it the was, ho- like shit all over the halls and stuff. But I didn't really see any homecoming stuff. Not that I remember. No, this is what I'm saying. Homecoming queen came out of nowhere. All of a sudden, Jen is just there with a fucking fur robe, faux fur robe, and a crown on. Homecoming queen, like what the fuck? Like, I don't know. It kind of blew me away. And then it was just so important in um, the last episode. Secrets and Lies. Yeah, in the last episode, it comes up that Homecoming Queen is a big deal. Gail herself is a former HQ. Yeah, that doesn't surprise It's me. what supposedly brings her back in time, but we'll get to that. Let's talk about your predictions for Episode 5, Indian Summer. Yeah, these were good. Um, so it's going to be a bloody good time with a bunch of football, and Jack's going to hit the rough patch where they finally win a game. Yeah, we'll say they win a game. So you were one episode late on that. Yeah. So again, in spirit, because I'm giving you credit for worse, I'm going to give you credit for predicting football. Hicking the fucking door down. Making predictions correct. You snuck in. Because it's a three-pack wide prediction. You snuck in the back door on this prediction. You're right. And that's why I give you partial credit. If you get it for the actual episode, it's like round of applause. Chucky B is Chucky best. But in this case, that's. You're in the ballpark at some point, so you'll get some credit. But yeah, well, it's like when you're hitting a 350 batting average, that's like a good batting average. But that's also meaning that you're only hitting it like that percentage of the time. We're not playing know? baseball. Still striking out. Sometimes we're not playing baseball, buddy. This is a different game. Because if you're yeah, shooting, but I mean analogies are like you know they're there for. A if reason. you're shooting 350 in basketball, is that looking good for you? It's not. 35% is an overall shooting percentage. Not good. That's Shaq at the free throw line. Yeah, but if you get like 49, that's like... Right, so what I'm saying, it's all about context of what game you're playing. This game requires a higher percentage than .350. That's all JT Money's saying. Let's talk about... All I'm saying is that these sound like amazing predictions that I'm pulling essentially from thin air you're not pulling them from thin air you do have context that's part of watching a show and working with what you're given obviously football not to take away from you making a a, a mostly correct prediction but if football is going to be a big deal in jack's life of course there's going to be a big game at some point because you have no idea what an indian summer is that was a good place to throw in football let's hear about let's hear about what actually let's hear about what actually happens on indian summer dawson a lot of sweat there was a lot of sweat a lot of glistening 
Yeah. Dawson gets increasingly annoyed when Eve won't give him any details about her mysterious life. He and Pacey set out to find out more, but Dawson is knocked sideways when he discovers the shocking connection that Eve has to Jen. Joey's misgivings about her slimy boss, Rob, lead her to gate-crashing his date with Andy, but her goodwill backfires when Rob later fires her. Jack deceives Jen in his effort to set up, set her up on a date with Henry, one of his teammates. So they kind of like put in a lot. That is one of the most concise breakdowns we've ever had on this. One of the best breakdowns that we've ever had on this, courtesy of Wikipedia. And they pack in a whole lot of shit that I wanted to comment on immediately. But I'm going to keep a fucking plug in it for right now. Let's talk about your predictions for episode six, because they're as concise as episode five. Secrets and lies. So a lot of things have been happening with the kids on the creek. That's obvious and true. Best friends are kind of best friends. The Mighty Alliance is going strong. Andy is focused on getting into Harvard. Jack is just playing football, trying to set Henry up with Jen. So again, an episode late on Jack trying to yeah, set up I mean, Henry with you Jen. Know, I'm, but you got it. I'm I'm right on par with this three pack. I mean, it's just like I'm missing timing on on it but i knew all these things were gonna happen if we're playing a game of golf right on par is accurate because you're getting it in the amount of strokes to not be positive but you're not hitting a hole in one so if we're gonna use golf analogies yes you're hitting par i'll give you par for this set of of three you know what par is great par is what most people par. par is i'd say what most golfers are comfortable with especially when you're first starting out this is still beginning of season three you're new to this ish you should be better now you should start hitting them out you should start be getting eagles hit me with an eagle chuck you have though there was an episode a couple episodes ago you got everything right where it was like i got a hundred percent you did that, that was, was hole like in one king kong bundy it was a great game let's talk about the breakdown for secrets and lies dawson struggles with whether or not to tell jen the truth about eve who has by now left town Later, his mother returns to Capeside, but it isn't initially clear why. Now, it's very initially clear why. She says she's there because of the Homecoming Queen Gala. It's the truth is not necessarily all of that, but as far as anyone else is concerned, it's clear why she's home. See, we go from one great breakdown to another one that's saying too much and is wrong. I should really proofread these beforehand, but I like yelling about them, so I'm not going to stop. Jen is reluctant to play at a big homecoming event, but is persuaded to get involved by Henry, who is friends with the host of the event. And how fucking perfect that Hank happens to be Constance's handyman. Yeah, the handy boy. What the fuck does Hank know from gardening? Apparently a lot, because he's out there giving the Latin names of a whole bunch of flowers. Oh, he's probably, he probably just likes flowers, too. He's probably got a thing for old ladies, too. Jen, yeah, Jen's an old soul for being a 16-year-old, so he can smell the 70-year-old lady in her essence. <laughs> she repays him by asking him to be her date to the party. She doesn't ask. She says, Hank doesn't know it, but he's my date. And, of course, he's like, oh, hell yeah, girl. Well, he doesn't really say that because he's way more meek than that but and that one lady uh she's all like you don't be toying with my little hanky's heart the later jen disappoints him when she rejects his advances she does it pretty gently though but we'll get to that dawson also attends the event as an escort for his mother a former homecoming queen an accident an escort for his mother Yes, I know. It just doesn't sound right. It's because when I hear the word escort, I think of... Yes. Right, and I know, technically speaking, it, it makes sense here, 
but it's not what my mind thinks of anymore. Like, even a date to his mother would seem more innocuous than an escort. Yeah. Still not a great choice of wording, but escort makes it, whatever, that's not important. (laughs) And accidentally discovers that she is having career difficulties. Andy accuses Joey of sabotaging her chances of a reunion with Pacey, but the two girls end up bonding when Andy realizes Joey is not to blame. I have a hard time going with they end up bonding by the end of that episode. Still felt really uneasy because and I've got a really hard time with the storyline that they give Andy with Rob, who is a senator's son. Let's get that out of the way right now. When I heard that little detail that Rob from Logan's Marina is a senator's son, I was like, of course Makes he is. Makes sense. They like pedophile shit. That's what I said. Of course he is. But my problem with that is they've spent episodes building up this this intense dislike and maybe even hatred for this motherfucking scumbag, right? But then we're supposed to go to an episode and believe that Andy lied about him trying to rape her? Because that's the implication real heavy across the board yeah. is that didn't yeah. happen. We're supposed to believe him when he says that he didn't do that. And Andy is just being a truly devious motherfucker and trying to trick Pacey back into loving her by creating this false situation that made Pacey punch this guy. And that just really, that feels irresponsible and totally fucking toned deaf to me to, to have the first, the first time that they've acknowledged rape is a real thing in this show. And not just some story from 13 year old Jen in New York, but a real tangible thing that could have happened. And they make it about a woman lying about it. That just real, and especially Andy, especially Andy, that not that it would have been better with any other character, but that shit just left a real sour taste in my fucking mouth. Yeah, I didn't like the way that, especially since the way we're covering this show is in a three-pack session. Uh, I don't like how this three-pack ended. Mm-mm. I mean, Mm-mm. it would be fine if I was just fucking binge-watching the show, but I'm not. I'm watching it as a three-pack, and then I'm stopping because I'm like, I'm backing out of Hulu as fast as I can after the episode ends. Um, well, we'll obviously get to what the next episodes are coming up, but to, to jump ahead to the end, like, a, a big part of episode three, like, it just felt, it felt like the wrong choice for so many reasons, and I don't know, I, I guess we can get more into that as we go on, let's talk about home movies here. The first two episodes here start out in Dawson's bedroom, like, again, I'm gonna keep paying attention to that, because I think it's interesting to see, and there are still just as many as not that are starting out there. It's mostly him and Pacey, which makes sense, because, yeah. well, I guess Eve can be there sometimes when she decides to be, like in the beginning of the next one. After, oh, my God. So anyway, this is the one where Dawson's talking to Pacey about how he's like, all right, I got this documentary about Jack, going through this home footage. I think we see for the first time in that home footage an actual image of uh, Joey's mom. I don't think they've even shown us a picture up until that clip they showed. Yeah, I don't really remember, to be honest. Well, the big the big thrust of this, as we've already talked about throughout this episode, is the culmination leading to the football game. Because everyone's got a role to play there at the end. Oh, like when everybody wears makeup when they're losing 21 nothing, and at halftime, and Mitch is like trying to throw together some like shitty speech and fucking Dawson comes in. He's like, I've heard this speech my whole life because I'm his son. So we can, here's the thing. The beautiful thing about this episode is a lot of it can be handled pretty fucking quickly. Dawson and Mitch are at odds because Dawson has an opportunity to get a piece of his work. Again, not a movie. It's interesting to see him this season still actively working on film, but once as propaganda and now as a documentary, 
but he can get it. I like it because it shows growth in his character. He's trying to learn multiple avenues of something that he actually likes and enjoys and something I could legitimately see his character furthering his education in and trying to actively do something with them. He he reveals at the beginning of the next episode when they're talking about film noir that he's still always going to be a sucker for Spielberg-esque narratives so you're right this is important for him to help him grow as an artist but i think his vision is still to always be that kind of filmmaker but it's important to look at other aspects and but look at as a bigger picture look at dawson so far this whole season everything he's doing is different and new and an experience he's never had before some of it's questionable, but you can't deny that Dawson's been trying new things and shaking his shit up after what happened last season, where he remained stagnant a long time. He's trying new shit. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. Like, breaking out of boats and shit and, like, stalking after Eve and... Dude, I just... I don't really like that character. In this in this episode, we see Dawson feud with Mitch, because Mitch is trying to make a name as a football coach. The principal's a big football fan. He's expecting a big turnaround, and Mitch is like, I got a lot of the line on, on the line here. Which, for Mitch, is true. He ain't got shit going on in his life right now, besides being an asshole. His restaurant dream has all but died, apparently. No one even talks about the restaurant anymore. It's gone. Kelpies? Kelps? Whatever? All, all the restaurants are gone. He's divorced... And miserable by his own doing. The only things now we're getting are bed and breakfasts. So, he thinks that Dawson revealing that not only Jack is gay, which might be, which it is, the other team is calling him a homo and shit during the, like, Jesus Christ. Although when Henry's like, find the homo now, or after they all put on the makeup. Oh yeah, I wrote that down, I was like, that's fucking great, way. like... Henry says that, dude, because they're all wearing the makeup after the cheerleaders come in at halftime and they all like give them a makeup job and shit. So Mitch thinks you're also going to reveal he's a great wide receiver, too. No one knows who the fuck Jack McPhee is. He's a secret weapon. No one knows who the fuck Henry is. He's a fucking secret weapon. Now you're going to put us on news and you're going to blast the shit out there. You went and interviewed the opposing coach. You fucking made him aware of what's going on. Like you he he straight up says you cost me my first game. And that's why I'm like, Mitch, first of all, fuck you. But I think Dawson also realizes, because as he says to Mitch in here, he is a parent to Mitch. Even in the end, when they find the resolution here, it's Dawson coming in and going, I'm using the lessons you taught me as a kid, the lessons of the Chinese war general Sun Tzu, and we're going to fucking obscure ourselves. We're gonna... First of all, isn't it against the rules to obscure your numbers with mud and football so you can't tell what someone's number is? I mean, I don't know what high school football rules are. I don't think you could intentionally go out there when it's not a muddy game and just be muddied up. Like, the makeup is fine, sure. Why can't you wear makeup? But, and the other team was shitting their pants. Like, it seriously was dudes in makeup and they forgot how to be humans anymore. Like, come on. Come on, dudes. But it got him the win. A big Hail Mary pass to Jack. Dawson in, in, in Mitch makeup. Really, all it showed is that Jack is a badass football player. He is, too. Well, they show that. Like, they've got no hint that he's ever played football before. And they got him catching all those passes in the previous episodes. And even when he's taking a lick during the fucking practices, we see, like, he's still getting up and going through it. He got his ass kicked in the first half of this. Like, he was getting torn apart by all those dudes, but he was still catching every single pass they yeah, were throwing to him. how many catches did he have and how many yards did he They have? showed us everything that was thrown to him he caught. Which is not to say there weren't some misses along the way, but from what they showed us, he had a pretty fucking good game, not to mention the game-winning catch. 
So yeah. he's a good-ass wide receiver, no doubt about it. That's going to be a good-ass football team with your freshman prodigy Henry and Mitch at the helm. Mitch and Dawson make up at the end. It's cute. It's fine. It's beautiful. I just hope Mitch can get his act together and stop acting like such a cocksucker. Like, he's just been so awful for so many episodes now. It's like, just stop it. Stop, stop being that way. We kind of see a little bit of that as we move on to the next episode, but here with Pacey and Joey, I love Pacey and Joey in this episode because, again, you... This whole three-pack is a Pacey and Joey fucking, like, hangout session, which leads to kind of, like, Joey unhappy when she hears that Pacey and Andy might be back together. At least that's what I got out of it. Their whole dynamic from the start has been the bickering back and forth. It wasn't the same kind of bickering that Andy and Pacey were doing from the start. It felt more genuinely like, you're here, and I don't hate you enough to hate you, but I don't care about you enough to put in the effort, so blah, 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 blah. But now, and it starts in this episode when they're walking down the road after they've skipped school, and Pacey's taking her to his boat, which he has named True Love, and the bickering that they're having on the road is the Andy and Pacey bickering. That that playful, schoolyard, tease you because I like you thing. That's really coming into full effect here throughout this three-pack, but especially in that moment right there. It's like, oh, God. That, and he's calling her Potter all the time, which I think maybe he's always done. But Andy even points out here, like, even that right here, when you call me McPhee, it makes me like I've missed that. So when Pacey starts calling you by your last name, it's an affectionate thing. That's how he means yeah. that. And I think they meant to kind of point that out, like with him calling her Potter now. I don't think either of them realize it. That's the beautiful thing right now. I don't think either Pacey or Joey know that they're starting to fall for each other at this point. I think Joey found out in episode six. You may be right. You may be right about that. I'm not going to say. But for the most part, leading up until accepting the end of episode six... It's mostly just been them being friends because A, they kind of were anyway, and then B, because Dawson did the Taskmaster task and, and pushed him that way. Uh, and this episode shows it because they end up having their punishment from Principal Green, who is the one who finds them skipping school. And what the fuck was he doing out of school? Just driving around anyway. That's what I want to know. I don't know. Maybe some other business on another show because I'll tell you one thing. He is shot up my list to the number two candidate. Oh. Surpassing Eve. Oh, so you are going to continue to comment on your, your thoughts and process. What about Henry, though? I thought we left last oh, episode. Oh, Henry, Henry leads the way top. slinging fucking footballs right now. But that's what I'm talking about. Between Henry and Eve, those two alone are very strong contenders for a spinoff. But despite my initial comment on the last show about how, oh, they couldn't possibly spin off for a principal, as you can see with Principal Green, they make him a very charismatic and present I like his character principal. a lot. He's really good. He is really good. Very positive, very involved, but not an overbearing, shitty principal. He's fair. So I feel like there's a couple things that you're just uh, bypassing I, here. I'm going through on, I'm going on through home movies. Things that, no, I'm not done yet. We're still going. But what what do you think? I, what do you think I bypassed that we could have gotten to? So Graham's drops a little fucking knowledge. She's all like, uh, "Give me a hey, I was a cheerleader." And you should embrace this, Jack. What I was trying to do is follow, because this episode seemed easy enough to just follow each character's 
thread from beginning to end in a very logical way. I was jumping back now to Pacey and Joey. I was still going to go back to Jack and Jen's situations that were involved in Henry's. But you're right. And this leads into what I was talking about before we'd even started recording the actual show. When Graham's revealed the knowledge to me that she herself used to be on the pep squad back in the day. Now this is why back in the 50s when they still wore sweaters and long skirts and when they kicked their leg and you saw their long athletic socks, that was enough of a thrill. That still got me fucking thrilled watching the show just thinking about it i'm a grams mark in a very weird and sexual way i'll admit that right here on creek chat there's no there's no denying it there's no denying it so the pep squad information was very important for jt money right well i'm just saying because this is a huge part of this three pack is it this is. whole cheerleader and fucking we'll get there homecoming Bit. That's why I'm leaving it for last in my breakdown, because it's my favorite aspect of this episode. Let me finish with Pacey and Joey. When the principal catches them cutting, he gives them a punishment. That punishment is they must wear the Minuteman mule, which instead of obviously having an ask, uh, a mascot, which is like a Minuteman, which maybe they have too, they also have some weird mule costume that someone wears, and it's supposed to be that. Oh, not just someone, but two people, and then they just get some underclassmen to wear it. So, Pacey, like begs and pleads and the last we hear before the reveal is that joey's gonna be the butt and he's gonna be the head and i'm like the fact that joey is agreeing to be the butt for pacey shows a lot about how she feels about him because that's a bad decision to make but we find out it's not them anyway they just yeah they get some fucking freshmen i'm sure to do it for them no big deal it's just a cute little storyline between them here. They end up sanding his boat by the end of the episode. Like, they make it out there, he reveals the plaque for his boat, and they start sanding it down. I'm sorry, but if you're starting a reno on that boat, you don't start with sanding the side of it like Joey was doing. There's a whole lot of other shit you need to do before you start sanding it down. Like, tearing every other piece of hardware off of it first. Granted, he's a 16, he's a 16-year-old who spent $200 on a boat, but still. Also... Why are you going to sand like that? Why wouldn't you just get out and st- and stand in sand as opposed to like like sitting and leaning over in the weirdest fucking position to sand? Like I wasn't going to bring it up, but since you Oh no, dude, it, sanding, it, it bothered me. I'll fucking mention it that it looked fucking stupid. It bothered me because obviously no one on set or at least no one with the power to go that stupid knew how sanding a boat actually works. Maybe it's cuz I spent a couple summers working in a marina, but I think even without that very minor and unnecessary knowledge, logic alone would dictate you don't fucking handle a reno of a boat the way that they were going about it here even as a stupid 16-year-old or a smart 16-year-old. It just, I shouldn't be so hung up on this. This is the kind of thing that I would make fun of you for being hung up on, like the non-broken windows. What I don't understand is both these people are smart. They are. And all it takes is going to the, like, to the computer lab or to the library and just looking up some books or looking it up on fucking internet they're smart enough that i'm going to give them credit for they'll figure it out for themselves eventually because they're going to realize how dumb it is at some point let's stop being hung up on that let's jump back to what you brought up because that's going to close out home movies the jen storyline the jen and henry storyline which is really what it becomes here Jen's well, and there's also a side Andy storyline too, where the, yeah, let's basically get that one out of the, the whole storyline is she's just working on not confessing to cheating all the time. Principal Green, whether it be fucking dudes that she's in the that come, um, that's not this episode. 
the other place with or, you know, stealing tests. In, in this one, she's deflecting a lot of her insecurities on Jack about doing the documentary. It's obvious to tell, and he looks confused. She's not talking about him. She's talking about herself. And then Principal Green's yeah. like, I got something to talk to you about. It ends up being about her being the head of a disciplinary committee ironic because she's freaking out the whole time that he knows she's cheated on the psat some fbi agent from the educational bureau shows up and is acting all fucking shady at some point during this whole thing like oh it's a big deal and really i just i wasn't interested i guess the problem for me is i was they literally brought it up once and then it was gone so i just kind of was like all right whatever and that's why i was kind of like glossing over it because it's ultimately it shows andy's turmoil but i don't care nothing comes of it here outside of her freaking out and then not being caught all it does is show us that this is gonna be a weird andy character because it rolls right into the drastic highs and lows she hits in the next couple episodes so jen and Grams are talking about like Jen. Gram, it comes up because Grams like you're making a mockery of being a cheerleader, and Jen's like the mockery's already been made. I'm just pointing it out because she's wearing the fishnets and the combat boots with the cheerleader outfit, which once again, for JT money, is hitting a whole lot of buttons. Like I'll take the '50s classic and the '2000s rebel-ish look. I'm I all just about don't it. Don't like this character, Jen. Still yeah. nothing. Still not hitting for you? I just... I Her attitude just fucking pisses me off. And she, like, knows she's got it. And she's, like... She fights with the... I want to do the right thing, but I gotta just be a fucking bitch. And, and it's just like... I'm just like, dude, you're a... F- like, fuck you. I don't want to be around you. Like, if you were a real person in my life i would be like i actively want to cut you out of my life because you're a fucking disease if she had actively run for and tried to become the head cheerleader had asked for any of this responsibility or notoriety i maybe could see where you're coming from but these people thrust it upon her she tried to not be involved in it and they insisted they insisted that she be involved. I'm not I necessarily think, just talking about this instance. There's I know you've got a long-standing covering... dislike for Jen. Blah 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 blah. I get well, it. This you know that I don't though. So I'm not. So, don't, where oh no, I think she handles herself. Stringing fucking Hank along. I don't think she strings Hank along at all. She sends the wrong signal potentially by having him come to the gala i think she meant it more as a friend but wasn't i will concede she wasn't explicit enough at the outset that it wasn't meant to be a romantic evening when she knows already that he's interested but i think she has both valid concerns about how she's going to be able to have a relationship with someone as pure is the wrong word but as innocent might be the wrong henry has had so much less to deal with in his life than she has either had to deal with or brought upon herself or whatever and i could see why as a 16 year old who's just trying to come out on the other side of that just trying to be get become better living in a good situation with her grandma and and her best friend that she's not interested in being that for some other person and that she would say i'm not interested and turn him away and I think she handles it really well at the end of the gala when she's like, she's not mean to Henry in any way. I think she's trying to genuinely, and she says, be his friend. And I think Henry just needs to accept 
you can be her friend. I think she's led him on throughout because no. she gets she gets very mad at him and when Jack kind of like sets him up for it because and then she brings up like the if you're going to like like if you're going to ask me out, you got to ask me out. Right. And which I'm he all, never does. Like, which he never does though. No. Okay, and, but he's just that's not even necessarily a commentary on her saying, I want you to ask me out. That's just her teaching him a lesson about being a decent human being. If you want to ask someone out, ask them out. I don't think it was like, I'm telling you to ask me out now. It was like, this is proper, normal human etiquette. I, don't know. I just don't, I'm not a fan of her. I think at this point you're looking or you're just predisposed to dislike her because I don't think any of the no, motivations. I try to bring it back in. You, and reel I, I just it think and then... you're assigning such negative motivations to her that aren't there because you want to see them. That's my I just interpretation. Don't like her. And that's fair. I'm not asking you to like her, but I'm going to argue with you about it because I do like her and I think you're wrong. That's it. Fuck that bitch. It, it, it ain't no sense in me not arguing with you about it if I think she is a much better person than you do. Fuck. I just think you're relating to Henry too much and you're feeling spurned by the gens of your past, Chuck, if we're going to do a little fucking nah, I am not a psychoanalysis. Um, so, so Henry, being the great weird dude that he is, pays 200 fucking dollars. 500. Oh, so you, let's make it worse. $500 to kiss her in public. No, God. It's, it's so egregious, I wrote it down. So this is, this is, and he sells his creepy Doug Flutie mouthpiece to do it. So it's supposed to be. I think it's creepy. I think it's pretty creepy to have that, to want that, and to think it's good luck, I think is acceptable. To brag about it in a circle of your peers, I think is strange. To sell it, uh, to sell the, it, to kiss a girl anonymously, I think makes it creepy. Well, that is a, a weird thing to do. I'm not saying the mouthpiece itself is necessarily creepy, although it kind of is. The progression of what it's used not, for is. Let's not say that other people weren't bidding to kiss her. Because this they was a fucking auction. For orphans. Yeah, but it was still... An auction. And and I would Jen, wager, to her credit, did flip out about it. And she was like, this is bullshit. This is why I'm not doing... Like, I'm not fucking selling my body for this. And then and then Grams is all up to prostitute Jen for orphans. I would wager that until Henry came in and did the grand Seth Cohen romantic gesture of bidding $500, that shit hadn't tipped 50 Maybe 75. It probably would have maxed out at 100. But he went nuts. Which is great for the orphans. But weird. When he could just be a normal yeah. human and talk to her. Although the, the freshman thing is still weird. Even though they realize she's only, he's only like a year younger. Yeah, yeah. He's like 15 and they're 16. But it's a vast... No, Alright, I don't think age is what creates a vast difference between Henry and Jen. It's life experience that creates a vast difference between Henry and Jen. They have had the opposite in terms of experience. Jen's done yeah, like almost can, everything, and Henry's done like nothing. And I'm not even just talking sexually. I'm talking just It seems just like living. you're blaming him for not living a life when it seems like he's had a normal human I, upbringing. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm speaking from Jen's perspective of why she would be 
reticent to embark upon a relationship with someone who had already fallen in love with some image he'd created of her when she's still just trying to figure out what her own image of herself is. Why she wouldn't want to be involved romantically in that way. Yeah, I'm still not a fan. Yeah, but your the tone of your voice there makes me know that I made a good point. So I'm going to take a win there the same way you take wins on your predictions. Oh, oh, how about this? She a bitch! Let's move on to... Uh, fuck you. Let's move on to Indian Summer. Uh, which is, once again, Dawson and Pacing the Room. And this is where Dawson's talking about studying... And they were sweating. Dawson's talking about studying film noir. And how he doesn't understand film noir. Are you familiar with film noir and, and its overall aesthetics in any way? Uh, there's a couple of Cage movies that are film noir, I believe. There are. But and they bring it up here. Oftentimes, the trope within that is the femme fatale. The woman who's setting the man up for a fall. And as Dawson comments in this opening scene, I just don't understand how this guy can't see it coming. Which is reflected in his own life when apparently he just can't see that Eve is a fucking path he should have stopped trying to travel down a long time ago. But as it is in a noir film, just something about her he can't stay away. The intrigue well, is too much for him. And when she breaks into fucking Grams and Jen's house, those little B&E, he really wants to know what the fuck is going on, because that's strange. Well, because he finds out eventually that she's looking for her mom, or so she says, because everything she said has been a fucking lie to this Absolutely, point. absolutely. And so it's like, how do I even trust that this storyline they're trying to fucking flip on us now about her being like, I'm looking for my mom because I found this picture, and now Dawson's got confirmation that that picture is a picture of fucking... Um, Grams's daughter, aka Jen's mom, which could mean even Jenner's sisters, and that's the all right. So by the so what happens is we talked. You brought it up earlier with Dawson breaking into a boat. Him and Pacey trail her throughout town. Well, Dawson calls the police. Of course, it's Deputy Doug that comes out, and it ends up after Eve and Dawson have a little conversation about why she was over there and she's really not telling him but she's like oh hey i know all about that psat thing so i could fuck you if you fuck me so dougie gets there and pacey's like i don't know or dawson's like i don't know what dawson. that's what I, I i corrected myself before you did motherfucker i i got there this time <laughs> he's like no nothing happened i'm sorry i must have been seeing things and doug's like are you sure and yeah, 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 yeah. But then later he goes up to Dougie and he's like, so how would you try and find this? I'm writing this paper on Noir. But Dougie sees through, he's trying to tell someone, he's like, watch the laundromat. But Pacey catches up with him, he's like, no, my dad's a better cop than Dougie is. And he says something else. They end up watching like this ice cream cart and that's where they end up seeing her. And they tail her and they find her on this boat that she's just been squatting in. Some old people who are out of town. Dougie shows up there after someone calls in. Gun drawn on Dawson. But that's where Dawson finds the picture. So we know at least after the beanie. And that's where I think you're fair to question it. Did she just take that picture while she was in the house breaking shit earlier? Why would she do that though? But it's possible that she's still just playing an angle. Or did she always have that picture? And the woman that Dawson sees in the picture at the end of the episode when he's dropping the AC unit off and asks Grams who it is, is Eve's mom. Why is he dropping off an AC unit when he could have just put that AC unit in his own fucking room? Mitch asked him to drop it off because of the heat. 
He said that to Grams. Yeah, but why? Like Mitch asked got, him to give it to the old lady. He, but Mitch asked him to give it to the old lady. Can you let me no, fucking talk? No. He specifically said we have extras. Okay. If there's extras, why isn't there one in his fucking window? I don't know or care. I'm just saying why he said he was dropping it off at Grams. That's all I'm saying. Fucking don't get it. Do you want to have do you want, too many fucking too many holes? Do, do you want to go off? Not on, enough. Do, do, not enough holes filled with fucking air conditioners. You want to go off on that for a little while? You want to get out of your system? You want to rant about technology because AC units are technology. Hey. Why don't you hydrate yourself with a fucking Diet Coke? Okay, so Rob, Rob, creepy-ass fucking senator son Rob, definitely offers Joey a Coke to hydrate when she's been busting her ass on a, on a boat, and then sprays her down with a hose when she doesn't And then asks her out, and she's definitely 16. And then he goes on a date with an actual 16-year-old. Andy. Who apparently she already knew from the country club through her dead brother, Tim. Yeah. Another connection to ghost him. How old is Rob? If we have to guess, I'm trying to put my finger on it because obviously he's out of high school. It's see, how old was Tim? Is what I was trying to put my finger on. They didn't really say. I'm. It doesn't. Obviously, it doesn't matter because he is over the I'm age. I'm gonna say 21. 22 is the number that popped into my head. So let's go with 21. I think that's fair. Not appropriate. Not fucking appropriate. And the, Andy, Andy no. gets indignant. Andy gets on her high horse about this shit. Like, how dare you? She even says that men are not Joey's area of expertise. Honey, I'm here to tell you men are not your area of expertise either because you're still a fucking girl. And that is a man who is an irresponsible boy who, even though they're trying to tell me, didn't really try to rape you. I have a hard time believing didn't. Oh, God, I'm yeah, somebody that worked up about too, that again before we get to that episode. I've seen him act. That's my problem. They've built him up as a person that I should absolutely believe tried to rape someone. Even through this episode where Joey does, I even wrote it down, like Joey, the Joey and Andy dynamic is really no, nothing that's been explored prior to this. These are the first episodes we see those no, two No, it's because deal. Joey doesn't have fan, Joey doesn't have girlfriends. Joey doesn't really have friends. Well, she has Dawson, and that was one. she has this blossoming friendship with Pacey so by 16, over a couple of years that, till recently, she started to realize she's had feelings for so by six, or developing feelings by 16, she has one and a half friends. That's not great. Yeah. That's not great. So, what well, I'm saying and is... Well, and Betsy. We see... <laughs> and the baby. I have said that we count them before, and the missing Bodhi. Although they can't be friends anymore because he's not around. You gotta be around to have a no, friendship. Yeah, he can't be friends, dude. Who knows what the fuck he is? He could be dead in a ditch for all anybody knows. He could be in outer space for all we know. He could be in Graham's cellar chained to the floor. I don't think they have cellars in this part of the country. Attic. Then he's in the attic. Yes, he's in Graham's attic. No, he's in Gramps' old room, chained to his old hospital bed. No, that's fucking Jack's room. Oh, shit, that's right. <laughs> Jack and Bodie are having a secret gay love affair. No, no. No, you're right. It's just Gramps is, like, whipping him and telling him he's being a bad boy. So, at one point, you brought it up earlier with the Jack and Jen and, and Henry storyline here. Jack kind of takes pity on Henry. And after they established earlier in the episode that Jack and Jen have a spot, which I will point out 
is the same spot that Jack and Joey went to a date on in season two, their first date, where he revealed that he was like an astrology nerd or something, or astronomy. So that's just Jack's, where he takes his honey. So him and Jen, that's become their spot, apparently. And they go there, they look at the stars, because he loves astronomy, and blah, 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 blah. So that's when he sets up Henry there, and he's like, I'm going to create a situation for you, where you show up when she's expecting to meet me, And Jen is like, that sucks. I think she's right to be mad at Jack about it. But what's so, the timing of it is so fucked. Because it's the first time that we see Jack and Grams alone together. We get a shot on the house. And Grams is like, I'm just so happy that you're in her life. Because she seems happy for the first time in a long time. And I'm like, alright, a little Jack and Grams time here. Then Jen comes in the door and she's like, how the fuck could you do that you ruined it our spot like that i thought she explains this later she's like i thought that was a spot for you and i there's never been a guy i've had in my life that didn't want something more from me that didn't want to turn it into something sexual or romantic or into something that wasn't more than just being friends and you're that guy and i thought we had something special there and i think jack realizes by the end of this like all right maybe that wasn't the right way for me to go about trying to set those two up because I I'll, I will say I don't think Jack is wrong for trying to set them up. But I do agree that was the wrong way to do it. Yeah, I agree it wasn't the right way to do it. But at one point when they're talking earlier in the episode, Henry tells... And this is what dates this show so much. He Henry tells Jack to, unironically, talk to the hand. And I almost lost my shit when I saw that. I don't remember the last time I heard that phrase... And to hear it used, like, in actual real-time context, I just shook my head and say there was a time. There was a time when that was okay. That was good. And that bothered me. Um, There was uh, another thing that bothered me. And it was when Creepy Rob rolls up in his dad, the senator's boat. This motherfucker. And uh, he's all like, hey, Joey, why don't you uh, why don't you fill it up? Oh, yeah, I'm going on a date. And then out fucking comes Andy and fucking he tips Joey and puts it in her pocket and like gropes her, basically. First of all, just tipping her was a big fuck you from him. And you know that. But on top of it, and it's more the reason he was doing it, exactly what you said. That fucking grope that he pulls off. Like, he's so brazenly creepy. And I don't, you know what? Again, and I've had a hard time really trying to come to grasp with this. Do I know, is that a lot of women's experiences? Is that how fucking men treat women like that? Are men so brazen? I couldn't imagine just brazenly groping an underage girl in public because I'm putting money into her fucking shirt and thinking that that's not a big fucking deal. But it's just what he does here, and Andy doesn't even fucking bat an eye about it because she wants to fuck him. Yeah, it was really weird. They make Andy, and it's, I don't even want to say unlikable like they did with Mitch, because what they've done with Andy's character is just make her, like, I don't want to dislike her the way they're making me dislike her. I feel bad that they're writing the character this way because it's not the character I've come to understand even if she is going through some shit right now, which she is. She always is. But just this whole thing with Rob just felt so... Both her being interested and then her lying in the next episode felt so... Just bad writing. Just shit I didn't like. I didn't like what they're doing with her. But it, it ends up... 
it ends up leading to Joey getting fired. Like, because she left work early to crash that date and ruin Rob and Andy's time, Rob comes back the next day and goes, hey, what time do we close at? Do we usually close at 8? And she's like, yeah. Uh, well, then you must have left early to come see this movie. And she's like, well, yeah, I did. And he's like, well, then you're fucking fired. And she ends up telling him to rot in hell with some real venom. Like, I never... Joey Potter's been angry on this show before, but when she told Rob to rot in hell, I was like, oh, shit. That was a deadly Joey Potter. I could see her murdering a motherfucker right now. Yeah, there was some weird, like, almost new Andy. And... She feels like she can shut that Andy down if she gets back with Pacey. So I kind of feel like she's not only struggling with, like, she legitimately is trying to overcome, uh, like, getting back together with her ex and it's not happening. And well, like, with her, her getting like, out of... Her getting out of rehab and shit like that, she's obviously in a vulnerable place. Her stealing that test didn't seem out of character to me. That felt like something a vulnerable Andy would do to secure her future, knowing that she needed to go to a good school. Shitty of her to do, but I got it. But the Rob shit I just don't understand. It's obviously not, and it doesn't, as we're going to talk about in the next episode, make Pacey jealous in a way that brings them back together for more than one night because he realizes how wrong it is he doesn't have the information that we have but just his feeling of being back together with her he's like he even says i know you're not the one let's jump ahead to the next episode i think we're ready unless you got anything else to say about uh, indian summer so at the end of this episode is when you find out the implication that Jen's mom is Eve's mom, that they're half-sisters at the very least. We open up on the next episode with Jen and Dawson at school, and Jen's talking about how she's fearing she's turning into her mother because she was Miss Cape Cod, her mom was. And now she's the homecoming queen, and she was the head cheerleader. And all of this, and it's like, I don't remember the last time Jen brought up her mom. The end of season two when she was trying to go back home. And now, all of a sudden, right after Dawson finds out, she's talking about how she's turning into her mom. And it's like, oh, fuck. But that's not really a topic of conversation throughout the rest of this episode. That big bomb that we no, found it's out. All, it's all homecoming queens. It turned and how And how, what the fuck, where did this come from? It literally came from thin fucking air because there's no mention of any fucking homecoming things ever before. And then it's just all of a sudden this homecoming queen thing is a big fucking deal. I don't mind that it's a big deal. They established that it was a thing at the end of the last the, the episode before the last. Like, OK, so it exists. You want to make a big deal out of it, whatever. We we find out that apparently they've got a secret handshake where they just touch each other's wrists with their fingers, which I'm pretty sure is just a way to say I'm ready to have sex with you uh, in secret handshake language. But whatever, what do I know about it? And we find out that this old ass lady who lives in town because her boyfriend left her 50 years ago and she's got nothing to live for but orchids and the homecoming gala is Henry's employer... And Jen's gala partner throughout this whole episode. 
And I here's you know it's interesting because we don't really see Jen grow in this episode, but we see Constance grow because. In the beginning, she's this stuffy old broad, to use the term. That's how they're making her out to be. By the end of it, she's like best friends with the drag queens that Jen brings in as uh, entertainment for the homecoming gala, which blows her mind at first. Because they're supposed to plan this whole thing out. It's going to be traditional. Constance wants tradition. She's talking about Jen's posture and acting like a lady. And she wants tuxes and, and gowns and a string quartet and all this shit. And Jen... Jen does less than she would have done naturally, but it's still enough to make Constance go, what the fuck? I don't know. I really liked... Yeah, I don't know. I liked Jen a lot in this episode because she shows vulnerability with Henry throughout a lot of it. She shows a Jen that is coming out on the other side of a lot of her experiences and is starting to realize, I can be happy if I let myself be happy. But by the end of it, does a thing, and while I think she handles it correctly, I still think she made the wrong decision. I'm with you, because I feel like you think she should have been like, Henry, either I'm all the way out, fuck you, this isn't happening, we didn't even go to this gala together, or we went to this gala together, let's try this thing. I want to be happy, you have a thing for me, let's try this out. That's right. Yeah, I don't, and well, that's exactly what he says, where he's all like, He's like, what do you have to lose? And just like, Wah. I think her major concern is, and yeah, I think I think her major thing is she doesn't fucking make a decision here. She just kind of like, uh, I think she wants. And he, all right, again, this is not a commentary on what happens afterwards. Just how I would feel she's feeling here. She's totally conflicted because she sees this as a guy who's into her for. Maybe sappy romantic reasons that aren't necessarily based in reality. Listen, I was a fucking 15-year-old kid. I fell in love in a way that wasn't real love, that you project images and thoughts upon a person and make them something more than they are. And I understand how is Jen, you wouldn't want to be that person who's having these projections put upon you when you feel so shitty about yourself. So I get her reservations about why she wouldn't want that. But I think she also at the same time realizes how good that is for her. I think she just thinks she's going to hurt Henry and she doesn't want to hurt Henry. I think that's a big part of it. A, she's not ready because she's still figuring out what her own happiness is. And B, Henry's a good kid that she doesn't want to fuck up. Well, and that's why I don't think she should lead him on. Like I don't think she... Like I said, I think bringing him to this gala without making it explicit from the start that it was just a friendly thing was the wrong call. But by the end of this episode, she does make it clear she's not interested in that kind of relationship. If there's a stringing along that was going on, it was over by the end of this episode. Yeah, I just, I don't know, I just don't The like only that. stringing along... Especially since she knew from the start. She, hadn't, she wasn't stringing him along in either of the two episodes before this. So if anything, the stringing along went on for one episode, and I think it's because... She wasn't trying to string him along, but she thought this was the right thing to do. And then as she did it, realized she wasn't up for it. When she had a whole night of it, she realized, maybe I'm not ready for this. So it was not so much a stringing along as it was a test drive. And she realized this isn't the car for me. (laughs) Maybe. Again, and that's where I think you just assign these super 
negative motivations to Jen that aren't really there. Because you say stringing along, I don't think that's what this was. And if it was, it wasn't intentional. I don't know. I just don't like her. I know you don't. I'm just telling you I don't think she's as vindictive and shitty and and calculating as you make her out to be. I think she's just vulnerable and figuring it out the same as anyone else is. But that's their storyline here. It ends up with Henry getting his heart broken for the first time of 10 million times. Yep. Pretty. That's pretty a lot of times. Pretty a lot of times. Does that make sense? Pretty. It's a lot of it. It's a lot. And the rest of this episode is really a focus on what we've already talked about. And that's the Joey, Rob and Andy situation. And Pacey. And Pacey with Andy. Because Andy goes to some party. Well, let's not forget, too, that Pacey is helping Joey and Betsy turn their house into a bed and breakfast by having an addition put on. And once again, Bodie's nowhere to be seen. But the police, like the entire police force, is there helping build this house, uh, bed and breakfast, instead of policing. But Bodie, the father of Betsy's child, uh, is not there. That's right. I forgot. So it opens up. It's so funny how it turns out like Pacey is the one who comes up with this idea to turn the Potter house into a bed and breakfast. Spearheads this whole movement, gets his old man to donate a lot of the fucking police auxiliary to show up and help out with this shit early in the morning. And so now since they don't have the restaurant anymore, it's going to be the Potter bed and breakfast, courtesy of Pacey. Like he's... But again, it's not even a romantic gesture at this point. It's just Pacey helping out the Potters with an idea that he had that he thought would work that apparently is something they're giving a go. Like it's, And that's what I think makes it so much more genuine is this isn't Pacey being... He's not playing a game. He's just being a good person to a good friend of his. Yeah. It's what makes Pacey one of the best characters on this show because he... If he does have ulterior motives, it's almost always because of romance. But that's not even the case here. This is him genuinely being a good friend. And that's something rare on this show. It And that's sad to say. But most people have a motivation to be a good friend on this show. Or their good friendship is conditional to some degree. Yeah, kind of. Pacey's, uh, Pacey's been that way too. And his love for Andy was conditional upon her mental health, apparently. So he's not he's not blameless, but in many cases he's the most evolved emotionally of all these kids. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Sure. But I just want to make note of I think this is the first official first official sighting of a cell phone. I honestly didn't catch it. Where was it at? When Andy called Joey. Oh, that that's absolutely um it would have to be. They've started and you can see in season three, because you brought it up in the last episode with the portable DVD player and shit. Tech and, but and again, there's been a laptop before. They've shown an actual desktop computer Cameras. before. They've shown like it's not that technology doesn't exist. They've just shied away from it. This season, more than any other, they're starting to show more of it because by ninety nine to two thousand it was becoming more prevalent. So not only did they have to just out of practicality's sake, but I'm sure from sponsorship shake, 
sake. Because I know those Apple computers show up at some point, and you know Apple paid for that shit to be on the show. Uh, yeah. So just from a fucking business standpoint, whether or not Dawson's Creek wants a computer there, they're going to take the money to put it there. No, I didn't catch the cell phone here. But yeah, she, so she calls from the party to Joey to say something happened. And Pacey obviously is at least, there. At least I thought it was a cell phone. It's, let's say it was. I don't care. They show up eventually if it wasn't here. Whatever. <laughs> but again, it's where the implication... I don't want to go look it up because I don't want to see spoilers for something else. Don't. And it doesn't matter. But it leads to the whole storyline where they go to the party together. Pacey goes in and he punches Rob in the face. Because that's Pacey's... Pacey loves punching people in the face. Or spitting in their yeah, face. Yeah, he's apparently not that good of a puncher, though, because he usually gets knocked out or knocked down if someone punches back. Um, I think he's only been punched the one time, no? Dawson? Or did he get punched some other time? Uh, no, I'm just saying, like, all right. as far as we know. As far, all right, he knocked Thor out that one time, spun him around. Not Thor looked like a bitch. Spun him around and knocked him out. He didn't knock he out. He looked like a bitch. He didn't knock out Dawson, but he was drunk as shit, and then Dawson punched him out. He didn't knock Rob down, but I feel like Rob's the kind of guy who's probably been punched 157 times by this point in his life. He knows how to take a yeah, punch. That guy's just a dick. Rob knows how to take a punch now, right? And he was looking to fight, but his bros held him back. And it turns out, apparently, he didn't do what he was accused of anyway. So, am I supposed to feel bad for Rob? Well, like, I just, I don't... Well, I mean, and that's the thing. We gotta take his word for it versus her word. And overall character, I would say I trust Andy. But, alright, but... let's talk about what the breakdown said was Andy and Joey bonding. And let's talk about what they were really talking about, which was Andy straight up saying in a tone... And this, this is what I'm saying, it's implied. She said to Joey, you don't know what I'm capable of when I want something. No, she's gonna try to kill Joey. No, the tone the tone is when that she Andy did goes for Pacey. All I'm saying dun, is dun, dun. All I'm saying is they're definitely making or leading us to believe, and you know this show's bad with mystery and making us believe something we're not supposed to. They're making us believe that Andy fucking lied to try and get Pacey back. About a thing that I think it's not my place to really break down how that's a fucking shitty thing to write about more than I've already discussed. I'm just saying I think it's irresponsible to make her a liar in this situation with a character you've already made me believe would do that anyway. That's what makes it especially egregious. It's not like they're saying Dawson tried to rape her, which would make me go, uh-uh, I know Dawson. Dawson wouldn't try to do that. They're saying Rob tried to rape her, and Rob has been trying to fucking rape Joey the entire fucking season so far. It's been his whole role is show up and be a fucking dirtbag. And now I'm supposed to believe he didn't try this thing on Andy? Even though every sign you're giving me says he didn't do it? Fuck you. Fuck your irresponsible bullshit. That's all I'm That's bothering me. Bothering me big time. Yeah. And what I love about this episode, Dawson isn't a super important character. On Dawson's Creek. 
He's kind of secondary to all that shit. He's got a storyline with his mom and his dad, where he escorts his mom to the dance, finds out that she actually got fired from her Philly job because apparently the audience in Philly thought she was too old to relate to, and she was coming back home because she doesn't have that job anymore. And Mitch is like, you need a friend, go talk to Mitch. And they showed earlier, Mitch kind of felt... You mean Dawson said Mitch? Yeah, that's what I said. Dawson said you need to go talk to Mitch. And earlier in the episode, when Gail was like, I want you to be my escort, Dawson, you could tell Mitch was kind of hurt by that. Like, they just had him look kind of flustered and walk away. So, they're trying to send a hint to us as an audience, Mitch is missing Gail. Mitch wants Gail back now, too. And Gail's coming back home. They show them talking at the end of the episode, kind of laughing and chatting after her night. So, they kind of open that up. Like, the end of it just kind of leaves everything open-ended. To a degree. Like, no one's... Henry and Jen aren't together. Joey and Andy are in a weird moment where Andy kind of just confessed she lied. Pacey just told Andy that she's not the one for him anymore and he knows that for sure. Dawson's... Who knows what Dawson's up to at the end of this one because Eve is the main projection of his story this season and she's nowhere to be found this episode. That's just kind of, after we find out the Graham's daughter bomb, she's gone here. Well, she had said that she was dipping. And but like you said earlier, can you trust a fucking word? Because she, can you trust the fucking word she says? More info. Can you trust the fucking word she says? She just found the house. Well, that's the thing. Like you can't trust a single fucking word this lady says. If we're gonna trust that the picture she has is someone that she believes to be her mom, and she just broke into Graham's house and saw a picture of that woman, she's not gone. Maybe she didn't see a picture of that woman, because that might be the only picture in Graham's room. All I'm saying is this, and you know it already, we're not done with Eve, so there's more to be said. But I don't think there's anything more, I don't think there's anything more to be said about this three-pack, uh, unless you've got anything you want to add here for that last no, episode. that's pretty much it. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty good three-pack, but it had a shitty fucking ending. Um, that's, that. sometimes that's the nature of these three-packs, man. Like, they're not meant to be watched this way, so we, but imagine if you're watching week to week, one after the other, this is how you would have ended on a Wednesday night, and you gotta wait till the next week to get it, and like, fuck, man, this is just not a satisfying ending, you're right. But yeah, let's, it sucks. But let's talk about these next three episodes. Let's talk about episode seven, and I wanna hear what you think about it. It's called Escape from Witch Island. Escape from Witch Island? Oh, yeah. Keep so keep, just keep, keep Eve is gonna keep Friday the thirteenth keep Friday the thirteenth in mind is all I'll say and what they've done with that on this show in the past I don't remember all right so I'm just gonna go with what I was gonna normally say uh Eve is gonna lure Dawson out to this island she's the witch because uh yeah I don't know. I'm really confused with this fucking name, so it's got me trying to, like, do something with my prediction. But either way, I think Eve Eve comes back this episode, and she does what she does with Dawson. She continues to kind of toy with him, give him half-truths or complete fucking bullshit lies as she tries to stumble across any more information. I think you're probably right. In the fact that she has um, 
uh, knowledge that Graham's daughter is. Do you think? Her mom. Do you think that she is actually Jen's half sister, or do you think it's bullshit? If it's bullshit, why is she here? She said she's been traveling up and down the eastern seaboard, blah, blah, blah. I just want yes or no from you right now. What does your gut tell you? Right or wrong doesn't matter. Do you think she is actually Jen's half-sister? I think she thinks there's the possibility. Do you think she is actually Jen's half-sister? I'm going to tell you right now, we get an answer one way or the other. What do you think the answer is? She is or she isn't? No. Okay. That's all I wanted to know. Is that all you have to say about Escape from Witch Island? Um, yeah, it's just gonna be it's gonna be a heavy Dawson episode. I love Escape from Witch Island, and I'll say when you finally see it, its content is very timely, and I love it for that reason. Let's move on to episode eight. Guess who's coming to dinner tomorrow? No. No. No, I'm not no, saying my reaction is the wrong thing. Like, but that fucking Okay, so no no Tamra. No, no. But who no, is? No, she's gone. She's gone. Oh, we're done with Tamra? No more? Are you gonna go out on a limb or we're never gonna say Miss Jacobs again? Yeah. At least this season. <laughs> Gotta give myself leeway for her to come back. Alright, so just in terms of making your guess here, think about who so think about who's been talked about recently. Think about who's been talked about recently, who could be coming to dinner. Because they're not gonna ask you to guess if it's not someone that's gonna be a surprise. Yeah, I think it's a new character. I think it's going to be Jen's mom. Okay. And she's coming to dinner at Graham's house to hang out with the Mighty yep. Alliance. To hang out with the Mighty Alliance and Eve. Because there's going to be a confrontation. Oh, we're calling confrontation here between Eve and Jen's mom. Yeah, because this girl is very confrontational. Confrontational. Is that a word? Confrontational is absolutely a word. I don't know if that's how I would describe her, but... I would. That's fair. Okay, all right. So Jen's mom's coming to dinner, confrontation with Eve. Um... As I'm always going to do, just to bring it back to the namesake of the show, is Dawson involved with that dinner, or is Dawson doing something else this episode? Dawson's doing something else. Well, so he can't be involved with that dinner. What's Dawson doing then? If Eve has been occupying this season so far, if Eve is over at dinner, what's Dawson up to? Dawson is spying from his window. On the dinner? Yeah. Okay. All right. With Pacey. With Pacey? With Joey? No, Joey's dealing with Andy. What's Andy doing? She is still freaking out. What's Jack doing? He's at dinner? Yes. And Andy and Joey are dealing with each other. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. And Andy's trying to not fall in love with Joey. So you're going to... And Joey's trying to, like, realize she's like, God damn it, I'm starting to like Pacey. So your initial lesbian guess of Abby, she's dead, so she can't be a lesbian anymore. (laughs) Or if she was, we'll never know. This isn't a real one. Man. I okay. That's thank, this is a fake. Thank one. you for the Abby one was real. Thank you for no, Abby's very dead, so it doesn't matter anymore. Yep. Let's talk. Wicked witch is dead. Let's talk Fuck about that bitch. Let's talk about episode nine. Four to tango, not just two. Four to tango. Who are our four tangoing and why? So I want to say, Pacey, Joey, Andy. I think there's a logical fourth. Rob. No, his name's in the title of the show. Dawson? Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess that makes sense. If we're talking about dealing with what's going on. And then the best friends are, or, you know, the mighty alliance. You bring up an interesting point I want to ask. Side. You bring up an interesting point to ask you about, though. Do you think three episodes removed from where we're at now, Rob is still a character that's involved in things? Joey doesn't work there anymore. Do you think Andy's still seeing him? No, I don't think Andy's still seeing him, but I think that that could still be a thing where. Uh, why would he be around? He's still trying to, like, prove his innocence. Oh, you think we're still stuck on that three episodes later? Who knows? But judging by the show, do you think it was still talking about that thing nine ep- by three episodes later? I don't know. The whole last three, the whole the whole three-pack we just watched was centered around a homecoming. Okay. I don't think they were all centered around a homecoming. Because the first one didn't even introduce oh, yeah. the first one didn't even introduce the homecoming aspect until the very end of the episode when Jen was Centered. surprise homecoming queen. The second one had absolutely nothing to do with homecoming. Maybe at it all. wasn't. Maybe it wasn't a surprise. It was just subtle throughout the entire episode. It wasn't, and you know it. The second one had nothing to do with Homecoming at all. It's possible. I don't even think Homecoming or Homecoming Queen or anything was even referenced in Indian Summer. And then obviously Secrets and Lies had a big focus on it because of the gala. But to say this entire three-pack was focused on Homecoming is completely disingenuous, Chuck. Focused on Homecoming. Well, what I want you and the listeners to focus on is where you can listen to this show. And that is at 50randyquades.com. That's at Apple Podcasts. That's at fucking uh, Podcast Republic. That's You can go to the Facebook fucking page. You can go to the Twitter feed, even though it's never updated. You can go look at the last time it was updated two years ago and pine for a day where it gets updated again. Because maybe you will. But you know what, Chuck? Until next time, we be creaking! creaking.